one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. In this last debunking economics podcast before Christmas, we ignore the elephant in the room. We won't talk about politics in Britain. Instead, it's back to the economics textbooks, chapter one, one of the basics of traditional economic thinking, the concept of opportunity cost, the idea that with limited resources, you can't do everything. So you need to consider the cost of doing something versus doing something else. As a basic principle, it sounds difficult to argue against, doesn't it? But that doesn't mean we won't. It's the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. We all know the basic idea of opportunity cost. Every decision you make is at the expense of another. You marry your partner, for example, at the expense of not marrying anyone else, at least in the short term. Uh, you spend money on something, uh, you can't spend that money on something else. So, Steve, I can see this working in a business setting, sort of. If I invest in option A, I get a better return than investing in option B, supposedly. I mean, but we also hear politicians talking about it. We spend on education at the expense of not spending more on health, for example. Does it have to be a, an either or question in every aspect of the economy? No, and this is this is one of the reasons that um, opportunity cost is one of these things which neoclassical economists, if you put them in a corner and say what's something economics has contributed to understanding that is non-obvious, uh, they'll come up with either the theory of comparative advantage or opportunity cost. Mm. And I'm afraid I regard both of them as malarkey when you try to apply them to an, to an overall national economy. But at the, the they, they appeal, the reason they get into people's psyche is they make sense at the individual level. And yeah. this is what... They, then people extrapolate from the individual to what happens to the collective, and I'm sorry, the extrapolation breaks down the concept. Well, it gets complicated as well pretty quickly, doesn't it, even if you look at that personal level. So say you're having a, a conversation with the, with the family. What are we going to do today, kids? Are we going to do A or B? And then someone, you know, and you think feel like that's a, 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 you know, you can look at the pros and cons of that until someone comes along with options C, D, and E, and then it gets so bloody complicated, you end up going nowhere and doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the fundamental argument, I've, I've seen this with um, – in, in book by Ajo Klama, a, a conversation with economists where he was talking to somebody who's responsible for the whole rational expectations, uh, so-called revolution, I call it devolution. Um, but that that economist was using as an argument if his wife uh, that they should hire a gardener to, to mow the lawn rather than him because, you know, his opportunity cost, if he was actually working in economic theory, um, then that that he's earning, say, let's say he's making $100 an hour out of that in a highly, highly uh, regarded non-mainstream economist. Uh, but if, if he was out in the garden, he'd only be earning, you know, he could hire somebody for eight, for say $15, let's say, let's be, let's say 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. So the opportunity cost of him was $90 an hour and it's far better if he stayed inside working in the economic theory. And his, the Arjo Climber made the mistake of interviewing his wife about that observation. He said, he doesn't do economic theory. He said, and watch the football game. Yeah, of course. Okay. So, so, um, so it, it is one of these false equivalences that we, we, we use 100% of our time in a productive way. And therefore, if you, if you have that situation, you're better off, um, you know, 
not, I'm on his side though. Perhaps, perhaps, he, perhaps he needed to rest so that his brain is more fine tuned. So when he does do the work, he does better work. Perhaps that's that's the argument I'd be using anyway. I'm yeah, unfortunately, still working on that because we've just one of us. So I don't swallow that one. Yeah, well, so, we've also got. I'm working on this one because we've yeah. got a, we've just got a new house. It's got a lawn, and I know I'm going to have to mow it unless I get someone else to do it. And so I'm <laughs> still working on the argument. So that one's not going to work clearly. But I mean, but the, it, if, if we go back to the basics of all of this, though, you can. I mean, it's it's the foundation of economics, isn't it? That economics is all about the scarcity of resources, and resources obviously are finite. The, the, there's a certain amount of. If we go back to the, you know, the, the source of it all, there's only a certain amount of power we can get from the sun. How we tap that energy, we might be getting better at it, but it's still a finite resource, and that is the fundamental dis- definition of economics, well, isn't no, it? The, Being the, economical the, the, with the, what this, we've got. The, what, what it's done is completely take attention away from the important stuff because opportunity cost fundamentally applies to what you currently have. Mm. Uh, and that, that's you currently have 24 hours in a day. You're not going to have more than that uh, or less. Um, so you've got to allocate them. And there's a question of how you allocate. Uh, and if with existing resources, you have existing resources, you can allocate the particular processes. Uh, there are some which give you more output than, than others. So your best thing is to allocate the resources to those specific uses right now. But what actually has meant we're harnessing more of that energy coming from the sun or more of the energy the sun has left behind 65 million years ago in, in the form of black stuff underground, um, that is investment. That is changing the resources with which you work and so economic with its opportunity cost focus has focuses upon specialization and using existing resources more efficiently that is not what gives you growth that was what that that is that that's the that's that's the um the afterthought that what gives you growth is is developing new ways to do things and changing what you're currently doing and developing an entirely new entry into that range of, of current possibilities. So I see opportunity cost as part of the fixation economists have on specialisation when they should have a fixation upon investment and development. Right. So there is my answer. When my wife says, are you going to mow the lawn because you're not going to pay for a gardener? I can say, no, let's pay for a gardener while I work on inventing something that will enable the lawn to mow itself. <laughs> and that's that's the investment answer. And then that's, I just then I just watch the yeah. TV. I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, we've got one of those vacuum cleaners that uh, yeah, uh, you know, that, that runs around the floor, um, you know, vacuuming it. And and that's going to happen over time. And that is the the real sign of, of of you know development in capitalism over time is not has got bugger all to do with opportunity cost. Well, it's innovation taking risk and stuff that's going to fail. Uh, that is an essential part of capitalism succeeding. So when it's, I mean, we think of opportunity costs, I and mean, when you look at examples, and I was thinking, okay, I'll, I'll just look at a few, just to Google mm. uh, opportunity costs and see how other people are defining it. And almost always, even if you look at economics lectures, it's yeah. almost always that example of, uh, you know, a personal decision. You exactly. do this at the expense exactly. of doing something else. Where yeah. is it used in in economics? Where do, do, do economists, mainstream it's, economists use it as, uh, as a useful, working or not useful but how do, how do they see it as being useful in the work they really, do it really unfortunately is the organising principle of their brains uh, and that is why they obsess about specialisation and efficiency rather than talking about uh, innovation and development over time mm. and it, it, it's to me it's one of those distorting fundamental visions they have so if you go like we go back to the, uh, the you mentioned the definition of economics being about scarcity uh, I haven't got the Lionel Robbins quote right in front of me but Lionel Robbins who was actually an Austrian economist not a neoclassical he invented the definition of economics as a science that studies the allocation of uh, scarce resources 
uh, uh, the satisfaction of, of, of satisfaction of unlimited wants using scarce resources that have alter, have alternative uses. Now, I'm emphasising the final part of the phrase: scarce resources that have alternative uses. Mm. Okay, okay. Can you tell me what alternative use you can put a steel mill to? Can you, for example, make your coffee with a blast furnace? No, and, I no. Okay, I okay, could, can, I could okay. knock it all down and build a hotel. But, but okay. yeah, it's, okay, okay. This is the thing: we, we, hmm. we, we, we create specific machinery for specific purposes that they do not have a function elsewhere apart from that industry. Yeah. And, the, and this whole opportunity cost implies: oh, I can go and collect my time to something else. Well, as a human being, yes, you can. You can mow the lawn. You can record a podcast. You can even tinker to see if you can make a, a self a self driving um, uh, lawnmower. But as a as a as an economy and an industry, once you build up a specific type of machinery. Uh, then it doesn't have any other alternative. There is no opportunity alternative for a blast furnace. Once you've got it, it's solid, right. and it has only that usage. And this again is one of those distorting elements. It's but it's, at some point, you said, "What are we going to do with all this steel? Though, are we going to build a blast furnace, or are we going to build a, mm. a skyscraper and fill it full of uh, office people?" I guess you know. So yeah. Yeah. So what you're talking about is the the consequences of a decision made in the past, and I guess that's that's the issue, isn't it? That uh, these are not short term decisions. These are these are long-term yeah. decisions, and you're riddled with um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for with, with with history anyway. Yeah, yeah, history and opportunity cost eliminates history. Mm. Okay, opportunity cost. Well, you know, you made the decision yesterday, but now you can make an entirely new decision. No, you can't. Uh, you 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 are constrained by the past from which you which which from which you have developed, and that's one one of my favourite phrases in Marx. I'm going to mangle it to some extent, but he says that men make their own history, but not at times and circumstances of their own choosing. Uh, and therefore, the past reaches out like I've forgotten the actual expression. But the, the the dead hand of the past reaches out to constrain the future, and that that takes you away from the whole idea of saying you can make this easy choice, which is what opportunity cost implies. You have to build on what currently exists. Right. And to change your direction. You have to change your direction from starting from where you currently are. And opportunity cost, because it implies you can have alternative uses for existing resources. No, you can't. So that is that is intellectually and philosophically wrong at the aggregate level. Right, yeah, although, you know, take a point in time, take a look at that blast furnace, and if you think there's not the demand right now, what do we do? We've got people and we've got money, which is being used to to fund this operation. The, the opportunity cost is using that, is just closing it down, using that money and those people and divert it to something which is, uh, which is, which is going to give a better return. Like, look at Australia, for example. Could Australia make more money out of solar panel production instead of just continuing to dig up coal? It continues to dig up coal because it's what it's always been done. It's what they know how to do. They don't know how to do much else, it would seem. So, but if they, if you diverted resources, then, um, then you, you know, you might get a better return. Well, yeah, but that's again, that's a, that's a, that is not a decision about opportunity cost. That's a decision about future investment directions. But isn't that what and opportunity cost is? No, no, opportunity cost is using existing resources that no, specialisation right. okay. you currently have, and that and that is why I think it's such a such an insidious intellectual concept because it works at the individual level. It makes sense to say that I've got a choice between mowing the lawn or recording a podcast. Uh, in fact, you go off and use something else. Are you, are you a soccer fan? Uh, any of it involves Liverpool, and then I don't okay. know a great deal about it. I just enjoy the fact when they win. That's okay. about you, the you go for a cycle. You go for a cycle, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, or go to the pub. Go to the, uh, the, the uh, pub with a mate. Yeah. Um, now that now you're talking. 
Yeah, that's right. That 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 is the opportunity cost perspective on the world, and it makes sense at that level. Uh, but when you look at the aggregate level, uh, opportunity cost only applies at the very aggregate. A, if resources can be moved from one industry to another at no cost, which is not true. Your example of the blast furnace, if you do actually scrap the blast furnace, you're going to get maybe 10% if you're lucky, maybe 5% of its capital value. You've destroyed some of your resources by that process. That is left out of the opportunity cost thinking. Uh, but when you get the aggregate level, uh, if there is unemployment, if there's any slack in the economy at all, then there is no opportunity cost. And this is part of, the, even when neoclassicals explain their nonsense to uh, to impressionable children at university, they start with this, what they call a production possibility frontier. And that talks about the uh, uh, the amount of output you can produce using labour and capital as your two inputs. And what you draw is a, like a, like a, if you imagine the vertical axis and the vertical axis being labour and horizontal being capital, you draw like an one quarter of an orange is the shape of the, uh, production possibility frontier. But once you're fully employed, uh, you know, then uh, you can produce a maximum amount of output and you can produce, if you have more more of one thing, like the vertical axis and horizontal of, of, of commodities, pardon me, goods being produced rather than labour and capital. So you've got, when you're producing guns and you're producing butter, uh, guns on the vertical, butter on the horizontal axis, the envelope showing what you can produce is like this one quarter of an orange. And when you're there, if you're going to produce more guns, you must produce less butter. That's your opportunity cost. Okay. That's the way they think. Mm. But if you're inside the, if you're still inside the orange, if you have unallocated resources, if you have unemployment of either labour or capital, and particularly, labor, well, yeah, I'll, I'll leave energy out of this discussion. But if you're inside the bubble, then you can go up and produce more guns and more butter. There is no opportunity cost. Now, this is the fallacy yeah. of applying at the aggregate level. It only applies in a fully employed economy. Do we live in one? No. Right. And that, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because obviously economists are all about uh, how do we deliver growth? And yet here they are talking about scarcity. So clearly, if you've got a decision between you've got some money, what do you do, A or B, uh, to satisfy current demand? Uh, or do you do C, which is going to make the number of resources even greater? So you can yeah. choose A and, and C, B. That's, and, that's, that's pretty yeah, much what you're saying, isn't it? And, and C is the important answer. Yeah. When you have a choice between A and B, the important the answer is C. And and this is the, the tragedy, the opportunity cost focus, the A, B choice. The real thing about the economy over time has been pushing the C, moving that envelope out. And neoclassical economics and opportunity cost will tell you bugger all about doing that. Right. And yet, strangely, we use it, don't we, in the, the, the one application I do see of cost-benefit analysis uh, of uh, sorry, I've, I've given the answer away. Uh, of opportunity cost <laughs> is when it's used as as a cost benefit analysis, uh, and you know I've seen a few of those in my time. I think they're pretty useless. The ones I have seen, mainly because yeah. they, they. And this gets back to your favourite thing. It's about predicting the future, isn't it? What yeah, if yeah. we do A? What are going to be the future outcomes? If we do B, what what are going to be the outcomes? And invariably, yeah. they're wrong because they've. Well, and this is with the other thing about with the opportunity cost. You that implies a false level of certainty certainty about what the options are and what the alternatives are. Now, you can get those false alternative options out if you ignore the future, if you ignore change. And again, opportunity cost is, is classic on that front. Let's ignore change and decide what to do with our resources. Uh, the future is change, guys. Um, so you have to have a focus on which which developing new resources, changing what you're doing is the focus and opportunity cost tells you bugger all about that. 
So the cost-benefit analysis for the NBN, for example, in Australia, mm. Mm. Um, what's the name of the economist who was very much uh, in favour with the Conservative government, the, the Liberal government in Australia, who uh, taught at the University of Wollongong and was a writer for the Australian who... wasn't Ross Garner, was it? No, not Garner. No. Um, okay. name, his name will come to me. Anyway, he was involved okay. in the cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. And they based their, like a lot of cost-benefit analysis, for a, for a broadband network, they based it on people's willingness to pay. Exactly. So, for yeah. example, if we give you much faster speeds, how much more would you be willing to pay for that than you would be prepared to pay for what you're getting now? And, of course, mm. people said not much or yep. nothing yep. at all. Therefore, the uh, the business case didn't stack up, and then that sort of made it harder to push more government money into it. And, yeah, of course, people don't know what they're going to get or what they're going to do with it. And, therefore, this idea asking for people to say now – what they're prepared to pay for something which they don't understand or know what benefits they're going to derive from it at some point in the future. And yet that was the basis of cost-benefit modelling. So it was a, it was using a, a point in time now to predict something in the future that was pretty nebulous. Yeah, exactly. And what it always will do is underestimate the benefits mm. uh, because you simply, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you, what's the cost-benefit analysis of employing Einstein as a, as a clerk? I mean, it, it is... It is leaving out the process of change, and yeah. yet that's that's what defines the societies in which we live. So it's a yeah. very dangerous. People see it as an insightful. In fact, it's 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 one of the foundations of leading the thinking astray. And this, but this is how governments operate, of course, because they do these cost benefit analyses. Because the argument is, if we do an, enough of them, particularly when we're looking at infrastructure. We've only got a certain amount of money allocated. We can decide which infrastructure projects are going to be the best. And you've got you've mm. got to you've got to do something. If you if yeah. you believe you can't do them all, how yeah. do you determine them? And so a cost benefit benefit analysis is the is perhaps the way that's to do it. That's what they fall. That's what they fall. That is opportunity work, yeah. cost at work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, not it's opportunity cost at work and misleading it because you said the opportunity cost of the NBN said don't yeah. do it or do it as cheaply as possible. Uh, since Australia's done it cheaply in an engineering way and very expensively in a financial way, they've got to screw it up telecommunications that was one of the worst on the planet, certainly the worst for an OECD nation, and therefore the rate of growth of the Australian economy or the chance for it to develop over time is massively inhibited. Yeah. And that's the benefit of cost-benefit analysis, whoopee-doo. Yeah. And again, opportunity cost is a large part of the thinking behind that. But, in, simply, yeah, but, you, but, but it is an opportunity cost question, isn't it? So imagine we found a way of yeah. doing cost-benefit analysis that was, that was accurate, which, of course, means having a time machine and predicting the future. But if we had a way that could be done you know, use, using better modelling, for example, so we, we were getting more accurate figures back, then that would be an application of, uh, a, a, of an opportunity cost, wouldn't it? Would, no, well, so- I, I think I'm going to actually quote Henry Ford here, and Henry Ford said if he'd asked his customers what they wanted, they would have wanted more horses on their carriages. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it, it is just not possible uh, to, to do that sort of uh, – this is one of the ironic things. The neoclassical economists say all the time about the, you shouldn't be trying to pick winners, but a huge part of their thinking is actually – literally doing that by saying cost-benefit analysis, opportunity cost, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they're actually disparaging quite frequently the forces that give us this incredible change over time. And their choices almost always end up being wrong. It's one of the reasons that you're actually in favour of saying, let's have you know entrepreneurs driving capitalism rather than bureaucrats and economists. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you, you know you've you've got to have, and we've talked about this many times. You've got to have uh, government money to help pump prime yeah, the economy. Yeah, sometimes that's the idea. Yeah, I like them on the side, pumping up the money and you know <clears throat> providing funding, funding things without knowing what the benefit is going to be over the long term. Which is where education, you know, funding education, funding research, and things like that is a good way for the government to create money rather than funding wars. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, it also gets to the point. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this now, where you where, where the government's got the choice between A and B, and both are going to deliver growth. They're not quite sure whether A is going to deliver more than B, um, unless they're going to uh, step into 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 the, the the realm that might have been done by the private sector. Why can't they do A and B if they're both going to produce growth and they're going to produce a, uh, some sort of return, whether, whether it's a monetary return or whether it's a, a longer term return to the economy or the, the well-being of, of the, the population, then they could just borrow more and do both. Well, then this again comes back to the elasticity of what is seen as constraints, because again, opportunity cost talks about you being constrained and having to make a choice. Uh, if you, and, and that is what the huge part of where the focus on government budgets being reduced has come from as well. If you realise that actually it's an elastic system, you can create additional money. Your resource, your constraints are actually your physical resources, uh, and whether you create the type of resources you need over time rapidly enough or not, and whether you have the the labour you can train rapidly enough or not, those those are the issues. So the constraints that exist are rubbery compared to what neoclassical economists and thinking about a budget constraint and then a choice between two known known entities. That is not the world in which we live. Right. So opportunity cost. It sounds like you'd just like to get rid of the whole concept. Rip, yeah, it, rip yeah, it out of those pages. Absolutely. Out of the textbook. No, no, we don't, we don't rip it out because I went to burning the entire textbook. Yeah, or just put it in a history book. Economic history, please do not use on the front indeed, page. Indeed, uh, So, uh, and uh, look, I mean, the, the, so you've given a few reasons. I mean, one is, is this idea that um, uh, it, that it, it ignores the, the growth potential. It's it's looking at something that, that isn't there. It's putting a, a scarcity that we don't need to look at. In fact, we you know the opposite, isn't it? When we want growth, we're not looking at scarcity. We want we want to look at Opportunity. That's interesting, isn't it? It's called opportunity cost, but it actually is looking at preventing yeah. opportunity. Yeah, I mean, what what can we, we just don't know? Like, for example, the, the the classic instance of the government taking on something which was <clears throat> um, had no immediate uh, commercial application whatsoever was the space race. Hmm. That was all driven by right now Russia America competition and a vision of America as a can do nation rather than a can't do nation, which is what it's turned into. Um, but that. That innovation 50 years ago uh, is now turning up on the frontiers of what capitalism is going to be capable of. And th- there's no way in which you say, well, the, what's the opportunity cost of the space race? Yeah. Uh, no, it was additional resources thrown at something which caused massive levels of innovation that over time have transformed the world in which we live. And that that is should be the focus, not this idea of allocating existing resources between competing ends. Here's something I read online, which I think sort of uh, encapsulates the two sides of thinking here. Uh, looking at it at a, at, a, at a personal level, I know a friend of a friend, <laughs> yeah, uh, that eats at expensive restaurants a couple of times a week and takes expensive vacations every year, but she doesn't have much savings at all. If people were more aware of the true opportunity cost of their actions, as well as the fact that they're bound to have long lifespans these days, they would be more compelled to save and invest for the future. So he is a person who is behaving irrationally. She is not looking after her future old age 
uh, because she's too busy having a good time right now. I know which side I'd be sitting on the fence on that one. I'd be I'd be going for the uh, let's have a good time right now and worry about the future later. And there's the, there's the thing opportunity cost. We don't gets down to that rational decision making, doesn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, human yeah. beings aren't rational. And it's also partly the you know the end. If you apply that level of thinking, uh, every everybody tries to save money. It's not saving that increases; it's the economy that slows down. Yes. Now, of course, we're going to need to slow down the economy at some substantial in, in the near future, courtesy of climate change, which is a totally independent topic from here. But again, the whole focus is actually what leads to stagnation in capitalism, not growth. And this is ironic because neoclassical economists think they're helping out capitalism. No, they're giving us reason to think in ways that cause us to spend less and to stagnate. But how do we, if it's if we're throwing out opportunity cost, just a final question for you on this then, mm. how do particularly governments, I mean, I think in business it's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Because they know what they're about. They know what their business does. They don't need somebody to from a textbook to say, uh, you know, you've got the choice here between A and B. If they reckon it's worth doing both, they'll do both. Uh, if they need to, they'll borrow more if, if they mm. have that opportunity to grow. Mm. But in governments where we've got used to this idea of a, uh, a, a of a finite budget, and even, even if we were to say in bad times governments should spend more, we're still going to put a ceiling on how much they spend because it's going to be a point where if this is a, in money that's been created, for example, you know we're going to get problems with inflation. So wherever the ce- there will be a ceiling at some point. So governments can only do yeah. so many things. How do they determine the best way of doing them? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the two macro constraints that matter to me are the balance of payments and the level of unemployment. Right. And uh, and like, the, of course, I you know I differ with MMT on the constraint of the balance of payments level, but uh, but that those are the two that I think the government has to have primarily in its mind uh, in deciding how much to spend. Right. But once it's spent, that I would like to have. Uh, is like a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of a minimal level of bureaucracy and a minimal level of bureaucratic invasion into an ordinary life. Um, but I would like that. I think some of the, the best ways the government to spend are ways that actually throw money at blue sky projects, which is what the, of course, the um, the Apollo moonshot was the classic moonshot blue sky blue sky project, which paid an enormous payoff. You couldn't imagine the world without that uh, that that you know just decision by Kennedy to throw this. Uh, America into the space race. Uh, so there's blue sky stuff and basics, education, health, uh, tra- uh, health uh, trans- transport infrastructure, those yeah. sorts of things. But and you want to have a rationale for all of those, wouldn't you, Whether they, as to how they're going to help employment and that balance of trade question? Yeah. Maybe, yeah if yeah, they're yeah, two measures, would you just you, you say everything? Yeah. Fun- how, fundamentally or indirectly, how are you going to contribute to these? Yeah, the fundamental ones were those two constraints. And then apart from that, find a way of creating government money and pumping into the economy for the rest of us to use in the least invasive way possible. And to, you know, giving students free education, which means they then spend the money they get in the local communities. Uh, blue sky investment for researchers. So new ideas like the internet, for example, can be developed by researchers uh, just as a, as a side product of their own in, uh, innovation ideas. Uh, and welfare. And that, uh, that to me... And health and welfare, those are the areas, and you need the government to be spending to the stage where it's creating money relative to the rate of growth of the economy. Uh, then, because I've always got to put this now on the constraint of what's going to happen with climate change, where we're going to go into reverse. But that's what I'd like to see when we when we don't have that particular const- that absolute constraint of the what we're doing to the environment. Then those are the principles I'd like to see guiding government spending. 
Right. Well, look, now we have abolished uh, opportunity costs. I'm a, a bit of a loss now as to as to what I do, because do I do I have a do I have a cup of coffee? Do I uh, make <laughs> make this desk that's downstairs waiting to be made or uh, do I go and have a long lie down? Now, you, now you've abolished opportunity cost. I don't have to put a rationale behind. All right? I, I can just I go and have a lie down. I haven't freed you from the local level. It makes sense in like our, like our individual times. So it's tough, tough shit. You can't get yourself out of this conversation. Damn it. Okay. Yeah. I'm still working on that argument against why we should yeah. get someone to mow the lawn. All there right. You go. Good to talk, Steve. See you soon. Thank and you, have mate. a good Christmas. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. And I hope you have a good Christmas too. We're going to miss next week. Uh, we're going to be off celebrating somewhere, but we are back uh, the week between Christmas and New Year when we are going to continue uh, actually breaking down neoclassic concepts, the other fa- fallacies of neoclassic economics, some of uh, Steve's favourite ones uh, or some of the worst ones, really. Uh, we'll be doing that uh, the week before New Year. So join us for that. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.